Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to the Women's Day Podcast, a look back at some of our best bits from the five past days. And this week with Ms Holland away, we've been joined by various guest presenters, including Jason Roberts. Was that really a good idea? You judge for yourself. We've also argued about how to stack a dishwasher, heard why swimming in the sea is a weekly must for one of our guests. But first, on Monday, Karen Molyneux came in to tell us all about her experience of adopting her two sons. And she began by outlining just how long the process took. It took three years from being a, well, from applying to become adoptive parents. Um, then obviously you go through a process, like Caroline said, um, we were accepted to be adopters. We found our the children we wanted to adopt that then had to go to panel that then had to be accepted and then we finally met them um, in May 2012 and brought them home in May, in May 2012 as well and then they were legally adopted by October 2013 but that date doesn't mean anything to me really because really once they were in the house they were ours and that was it you know doors shut there are children now and they were part of our family and have been part of our family ever since. And how did you know that they were the right ones for your family? Um Obviously, you have a lot of a lot of paperwork about their background, so you find out as much as you possibly can about the children beforehand. Um, and like Caroline said, we did go to meet them. Um, we had a process where we met them for um, I think it was about eight. Well, I, I think it's about eight or nine days beforehand. And you, you know, we stayed at a small hotel and we went to meet them every day. And it just got the time we met, spent with them was a little bit longer each day to introduce them to us as well as that you know us to them really. Um, and um, yeah, it's difficult because you, you're in an alien situation, you're in somebody else's home. We did get to take them out um, and sort of play at happy families, if you like, but they don't really know you at that point. It, that That's all learning. Um, so as, as much as you want them to be your, your children, uh, it, you, you can't really know, I suppose. It, uh, there is a gut feeling that this is right. Um, I suppose it, equally there'd be a gut feeling, a gut feeling if, if it was wrong. And I, I suppose you just have to go with either, either one of those. So they arrived on the island then in May 2012. Um, what is that like? What is that like suddenly looking around thinking I've got a ready-made family here now? We literally had, um, because, we, because we didn't know until we met them, they came, we came home the day before they arrived. So we had 24 hours where we had friends um, coming around to the house and just getting their rooms ready because we had stuff sort of on hold for them. But... I didn't want to come home to a to a house that was ready made for a family if if they weren't going to be coming, and you don't really know that until you meet them. So um, I, w- I would have found that too difficult. So we didn't actually go through that process until we knew that they were coming, and that was literally the day before. So yes, when they arrived, their bedrooms were just done, and um, they obviously they arrived with their foster family, and um, it was just surreal. And what were those first few days like? Just a blur, really. Um, we did loads of things with them um, just kept them busy and uh, it's difficult because obviously the foster parents were, were removing themselves from that situation at the time and, and the boys were very very young and particularly my eldest um, f- felt very connected to, you know to them and it was very difficult for him he you know he kept asking where she was and and that was that was quite difficult for us as the new family as well to take that um, you know it's quite hard because you know obviously we wanted them to want us but you know that's that's just a silly thing to think really isn't it because they're not going to yet because they they hardly knew us um they wanted what they knew so yeah it was it was hard and is that is that a very difficult stage of the whole process that transitional period when when there's a sort of handover going on is it is it something 
which is, is sort of clinical? Is it very emotional? Is it, it how would you describe uh, it? I, I don't know. I suppose it's difficult for any, everybody. It was quite emotional in our case because the foster parents had had the uh, my boys for um, nearly a year, so they were very well. Particularly the, the the foster mother was very connected to them, and although she wanted to move them on for their progression, um, she you know she kind of there was a lot of her wanted to keep them as well. So yeah, that was quite difficult because she was quite upset about it. But you know, I still keep in contact with her now. I still send her pictures of them, and she wants to know. You know, she wants to be involved uh, in their lives. Really, she wants to know that they're happy. And she does ask if I haven't got in contact with her for sort of three or four months, she'll just send me a prompt. You know, how are they getting on? Mm-hmm. She wants to know, which is lovely, really, because you know she obviously really loved them. Yeah. One uh, of the- uh, sorry, I'm just going to say for the, for the children themselves, they're coming from from the foster of TU. How do they adapt, or is it difficult for them to adapt from using one day for the foster parents then coming to you as their adopted parents? Well, the foster parents and the uh, and the social workers try to deal with that as best they can. Uh, the children have had photographs of us beforehand. Um, they have always, um, the foster parents refer to us as your forever mummy and daddy. So, you know, they know that they're, we're mummy and daddy, although they don't quite feel comfortable saying that at the beginning. Um, you know, of course they don't. It's alien to them, especially when they've been calling somebody else mum. So, but, you know, they do their best to break it in gently. You know, we sent um, audio tapes to them and there was basically read this book. uh, So they had our voices. They could hear our voices. um, And we had lots of photographs and the foster parents went through those with them quite a lot before we even met them. So they, they, you know, that we weren't, were just walking in, you know, hello, here we are. <laughs> they did have pictures of us. They knew who we were and they knew who we were going to be. But as much as a two and a half year old can understand, that's going to be my new mummy and daddy. I mean, you know, mm. you'd have to ask them really when they're older. Because it's, it's really difficult. And at what point did they feel like yours? Um, I think I would say the day they moved in. And in terms then of, uh, we heard Caroline talking about sort of bonding and, and things like that and and the sort of process that you go through. How much support did you get for that? Uh, a lot. They do have, um, they have workers in, uh, I don't want to call it IOMAS, it's not IOMAS anymore, in the Children's Centre. Uh, they, uh, they do um, come and give you help where they can. Um, and there's also uh, the fact that the before they're legally adopted, um, the social workers for the children and our social worker as well they all come descend on your house every two weeks so there are they are around um and that it's good because you you need them as a sounding board obviously you do need them but also you kind of wish them away and i don't think they mind me saying that because you want to get on with your own life and it, it is difficult to kind of get on with your own life knowing that oh actually in, in a week's time i've got this visitor coming again and it and it does disrupt the children because they're so little they didn't really understand what was happening or who these people were um, and you're trying to create a bond with them you know a secure bond with them and but then you're introducing all these new faces to them every every two minutes and yet you you know you haven't actually introduced your friends to them yet because you're still trying to create that secure bond just one-on-one and the, the reality is is you have entered at that point a completely different world which includes things like for example, mums and tots. What is it like suddenly being immersed in that sort of scene? Oh, that was just so strange, going to mums and tots. And obviously nobody knows. It's like the you know, elephant in the room. No one knows that they're, they're adopted apart from you, but you feel like it's glaringly obvious and that you're just a really rubbish parent. <laughs> Here I am with my children. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, and you turn up at mums and tots and you don't know anybody. So that was quite difficult. It took me quite a long time to 
make friends in that circle because my friends had already had their own children and moved on and uh, and not that I wasn't friends with them anymore I obviously still am but um, their children were older and they weren't at the same mums and tots so yeah it, it was difficult it was like I suppose it's like moving to a new place and not knowing anybody and just rocking up how open were you about the fact that you had adopted children? Um, I've always been quite open because the ch- um, I want the ch- I don't want the children to be uh, in a situation where somebody knows something that they don't, and I want them to be. Able- and it, kids, kids are cruel, and they're going to get teased for you know this, that, the other, anyway, and that's going to crop up at, at some stage. And I want them to be armed with a really good response, like you know, actually, my mum and dad spent four years trying to get me. You know, your parents just got pregnant. <laughs> you know, uh, and you know, they, they, they. I want them to be able to come back with the my mum and dad. You know, really love me, and they really worked hard to get me. So I'm really special. So what would you say? We, we've heard a lot, and we were talking earlier on about how involved is the process. Clearly, there's a lot of work commitment, but, but again, we we can hear in your voices you're talking that you know that the love, the joy, that the, the the passion coming through there. How would you describe the rewards involved? Uh, I think the rewards are probably the same with anyone who has their own children. When you see your children progressing and doing anything that they haven't done before, I don't think it matters whether they're adopted or not. Um, I don't think it's even a, a bigger reward just because they're adopted. Um, although, you know, I suppose the only thing I could say is learning. You know, at two years, four months, my eldest son was when we got him, and he he couldn't really speak, so I had to teach, I had to teach him to speak. Uh, I suppose that was a, his biggest milestone, but now he's learning another language as well. <laughs> <laughs> and how much do they know about their background, about their past? Um, they know. Uh, um, the Children's Centre are very good at, give, at arming you to be able to answer that question, really. And, and it's, I suppose it's true of any child. Only answer the question that the child's given. Because you can start going off under some massive description, and they've just walked off. And I'm playing with Batman now. You know, they've not. They've lost interest. You only answer the specific question they've asked. They don't need any more information. So, you know, they do ask. Uh, they haven't asked some hard questions that we know will come. You know, why wasn't I wanted, and that kind of thing, or why? You know, why? Um, but yeah, we're we're ready for them. And if anyone's listening, Karen, and they're thinking about adoption, would you have any advice for them? difficult to give advice um, because I think every situation is different but uh, yes arm yourself with as much information as you can um, I wouldn't necessarily say looking after other people's children was an, a good thing because not you don't always like other people's children <laughs> so that's quite a difficult one um, shouldn't say that <laughs> but yeah so you could have a good experience or a bad experience I'm, I'm saying in that I suppose so you know wouldn't necessarily um, help you um, but yes I mean if you know how to change a nappy that's obviously beneficial um, you know know how much to feed a child things like that used to worry me how much should I feed my children I don't really know how much to give them so it's practical things I think more than anything else um, yeah you can't teach love that'll just happen Jason, do you understand all this uh, mortgage Vaguely. Monarchy? I mean, I've always seen mortgages as being a bit sort of beyond me because I'm now in my 40s, I'm single, and, you know, I have almost no savings. And so mortgages are, are a bit of a way away, I think, for me. And, you know, you're quite 
open about the sort of the, the situation that you're in. I mean, does it worry that you don't have a property? It sort of worries me at times. It worries me more when I meet people or, you know, you, you go out for a drink after Tinder and they say, I own my own home and I, they're 10 years younger than I am. And I think, how did you manage that? I've worked for 24 whoa, years. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Let's just go back, please. Did you actually just say Tinder? You I, did. I only go out with people on Tinder who specify they have their own homes. That's very important. Do you want to, do you want to describe what I don't Tinder even is to Beth? Because she won't know what it is. Did I actually I say that? Say it's the lumberjack shirt. She's obsessed. <laughs> no, you see, this is this is a whole new world to me. Tinder? What? 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 Swipe left? Swipe right? No, you just sort of look at the photograph and say, no, I don't fancy you. Swipe it's a dating right. thing. Yeah. Oh, and oh, if you, you, know if, you both, if you both swipe left on each other, then it tells you, oh, you've been matched with so-and-so. Um, but it's very strange on the island because it's Tinder and because, of course, it tells you you have to sign in with Facebook and it says you've got five mutual friends and you think... Oh no! I already know them, and now they know. Didn't we have a situation, uh, Jason Roberts? There I am on Tinder, sort of clothes off, showing off my body, you know. And you think, who's looking at this? So yeah, it's um. When I first started at Rags Radio, I heard from Kate that Jason had turned around to Kate and said, "Oh no, Joe Pack's on Twinder. What do I Tinder?" <laughs> See, I know not that much about it. Joe Pack's on Tinder. What do I do? Swipe left or swipe right? I think I just swipe right. I was like, no, no, me. definitely not. And no. do you find out if somebody swiped you right? Oh, well, you don't get the match for them. You'd find out if they swiped left, because obviously I think men just go left, 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 whereas women actually go, no, I don't fancy him. Yeah, I quite fancy him, but men men just tend to be less picky about these things. Sorry, Paul, we've completely gone away from mortgage, haven't we? I'm more interested in mortgages, don't worry. Um, Paul, I mean, is this a world that you're aware of, Paul? I'm afraid not. No, okay. Oh, come on. Really? Absolutely. Oh, Joe okay. can give lessons. She'll, she'll explain. Ever heard later. of Twinder or Timber? <laughs> none, none of the above. Our guest this afternoon describes herself as being a cross between a professional sports person and a complete buffoon. Uh, the fact, Stella Parnell, that you swim in the sea, as I mentioned before the break, without a wetsuit all year round, at least once a week, kind of makes me want to agree with you. Why do you do it? Um, my normal response to this is, not on the lack of wetsuit bit, is that nobody can bug you when you're in the sea. You, If you're however far from shore, you can't have people giving you a hard time oh, at anything. Bit of freedom. Right. Actually, just I think very, I'll put myself Very, in the very sea. liberating. And I do it with lots of super, super people. I am going to say it though, Silla. The water around the Isle of Man is not necessarily renowned for its cleanliness. Does that not bother you at all? Um, yes, it does. It does actually. It bothers me quite a lot. Um, I am very fortunate in that I live in Castletown and the water in Castletown is very good. Port Erin, where we swim quite a lot, is very good. Most of Douglas, most of the east coast of the island and towards the south is is clean. Um, hopefully it will all get sorted around the island fully um, because ideally swimming in sewage is not, not an idea of a, a good day out. But I'm quite happy that where I swim, the water quality is good. They have signs up everywhere. They test it monthly and you can see what the results are. And last week you were swimming around the Tower of Refuge? Yeah, no, it's brilliant swim around the Tower of Refuge. You have to be quite careful um, because it can get a bit choppy on the, the seaside of it. You have to be careful of the boats. They cause a bit of swell. Um, I have to say that we don't just leap in the sea. I love open water swimming so, so much. But I am not into just leaping into a random bit of water Every time I get in the sea, I take a 
I do basically a mental risk assessment of what's going on, the, what else is going on in the water, the water temperature, who I'm swimming with, the ability of the people I'm swimming with. We, When we're doing things like going around the, the Tower of Refuge, we will notify the Coast Guard before we get in and before when we get out because we do have occasion where very kind members of the public will um, ring in and say, there's people in the sea. You know, we. I think I'm doing really beautiful backstroke or front crawl. They clearly think I'm drowning, but um, you know, that's the way it is. Um, we've had a, a text in from Kath who says um, that you are incredibly inspirational and talented, despite claiming that you uh, fell into things by chance. And she wants to hear more about cool water swimming, which we will do in just a moment. But also, how you cope when your body's core temperature drops so low? Um, the reason why there's a lot of issues in. Uh, that's the wrong word. Within the open water swimming community, people go, there's a difference between swimming in wetsuit or skins. And some people get a bit pretentious about it. And it's sort of, oh, well, if you don't swim in skins, then you're not a proper open water swimmer. Perfectly honest, I think that's just a load of nonsense. It's horse, it's whatever suits you. When we did the channel relay about three years ago, you're not allowed to wear a wetsuit. So up until that point, I had worn a wetsuit, but I find it very restrictive. I was getting really nasty rubs anyway. So we had to acclimatise. Um, it was a really, really long process. You can't just leap into the sea. Um, we do, I sort of get mocked because I do constant tests when I'm in the sea. It's whether you can do, touch your fingers to your thumbs. If you can't do that, your fine motor skills are starting to go, which is one of the signs of hypothermia. We do mental arithmetic. So it's constant checks. I now have got to a point that I know if I'm starting to get too cold and I will know that if the water's this temperature and I'm doing this, as in I'm swimming fast or I'm just doing a bit of head breaststroke sorry or a bit of synchronised swimming which we do sometimes do that because we're hanging around that I'm going to get colder quicker um, so you just sort of learn what your body's body's used to um, you mentioned the Channel Relay. That was the English Channel, which you swam back in 2012. I think I'm right in saying you're the first Manx-born person to do that. Um, I understand. At the moment, we think that I was the first part of um, a relay or any part to do the, the English Channel. Um, I, it, it is a really big thing. I'm quite cynical about it because I swim with s- superbly brilliant swimmers. A friend did a two-way swim of Windermere, couple of weeks ago which is about 24 miles and that was a solo swim so me swimming a few miles in the English Channel is nothing as far as I'm concerned a friend very kindly pointed out that if I'd started the swim and I'd finished in France actually I would have just gone to the beach for the day so that's how I sort of see it in my in my head I I sort of it's a bit of a joke really I think (laughs) Um, so you are a qualified open water coach then yes how much of a demand is there for that um Open water swimming and triathlon are apparently the fastest growing sports in the UK. Um, most triathlons are done in open water. Therefore, there is there is a demand for um, coaching in the sea. It, it depends on the person, really. Some people are very, very confident and will quite happily just go in. There's groups around the island who do a swim at your own risk, but we meet at the same time every week and it's not coached. It's just like-minded people having a lovely time. There are other people who might be very good swimmers, but they're not so confident on what to do. Getting lost in the sea is quite a big thing, actually. You haven't got the lines on the bottom of the, the 
pool to follow you haven't got anything to keep you contained so if your stroke isn't even and you zigzag a bit it's very easy to change direction and have you ever got into a position where you have found yourself in trouble uh no not yet um when not in that respect when we did the channel we had to do a two-hour acclimatization swim and it was supposed to be under a certain temperature and due to weather conditions on the run-up to doing it we were in a lake in the lake district and it was about nine degrees now it is said that at nine degrees most people would be unconscious within an hour of being in at that temperature and we were supposed to be doing two hours in that temperature um we got to about an hour and a quarter and we made the decision that we weren't going to complete that swim so we got out and we did our qualifying swim at a, at a different time um so that's probably the nearest that i've had to getting into trouble i think that's as near as i'd want to get um you coordinate your nails with your swimming costume i do i do i spent my whole life swimming or teaching swimming and i spent my whole life basically in wet lycra which most middle-aged women don't really aspire to. I didn't grow up thinking, I want to stand in public in wet lycra. So my only bit of glamour is to try and get my nails to be a bit glitzy. And I have had people notice it. A woman collared me in a hotel once and said, oh, you, you swam in the Great North Swim yesterday, didn't you? And I was sort of, how did you know? Was I, was I truly fabulous? And she went, no, your nails match your wetsuit. <laughs> OK, here we are. Here's a dishwasher. We've all got things in our hands. Does it really matter how you load it? Um, yes, on the bottom layer, but not the top layer. The, the top layer is, is some kind of mystical art that I've never managed to work out at all because the bottom layer looks like it should have plates and where you put the cutlery. The top layer, no See, idea. See, I've worked out the top layer. The top layer is you have glasses at the edge and then mugs in the middle. I'm a, we, Whatever happens, we'll disagree, my wife and I, on how it should be done. I'll stack it. It'll be rearranged. My, my basic modus operandi is big pots down the bottom, plates towards the bigger plates, like there's one there now, towards the outer side, and the smaller plates in the little racks uh, sort of going in towards the middle and the really small things and the mugs on the top. Do you know what? It doesn't really matter, right? Just put the cutlery in the cutlery drawer. Anything else just fits in. The cutlery, it? it doesn't matter. I don't care how the cutlery well, actually, goes, but it... everything else you've just said is wrong. No, no it's not. Like, <laughs> cups go on the top. Look, yeah, cups no, on here. They've got the little knobbly bits for the cups. But what, what's the yeah. bit that always leaves? Down, but they're for sharp knives. Sharp knives? No, that's yeah, not. Well, my one. It's got little knobbles <laughs> on it. Well, sharp you, knives. Ju you just said that cutlery goes in the cutlery yeah, bit. Yeah, but sharp so... knives don't. No, because... no, no, no. Because you right. put the sharp knives yeah, sharp upside knives down, are... and then this is for your wine glasses. That's, for your wine so you can, glass that's the neck of your yeah, wine glass. Yeah, but you can still have that down. Put your sharp knives on top of there, and your wine glasses can still. Where do you put chopping boards? I don't put chopping boards in. What? Yeah, because you can. Well, not no, not wood ones, plastic ones. But you can jam them up the side. Oh, actually, what is my one? Actually, doesn't have one of these baskets. Mine's got a little top drawer which pulls out here. And you've oh, got all your yeah, yours would. Oh, yeah. yeah, but cutlery, <laughs> knives facing down. Yes, yes, knives yes. Because yes, yes. if anybody tripped and fell, then you're not going to stab yourself. Because lots of people are doing me, running around kitchens. My dad tells me off for putting them upside down because he's like, you've got to put them up, otherwise they don't clean properly. I say, yeah. well, what about when I'm going to get them out of the dishwasher and, and I cut also, my hand? If, if they're a valuable knife, you put the knife down, you can damage the blade. Oh. Right, okay. One, two, three, go. Stack it. Let's go. Okay, that goes in there. That, that Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com.
Terms and conditions apply.